Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Molly Jong Fast. No relationship to Kim Jong Un. I'm a left wing pundit and a writer at The Atlantic and Vogue. And I'm Andy Levy, former Fox News and CNN HLN guy and current cable news conscientious objector. And I'm producer Jesse Cannon, and I'm here to make sure things don't go too far off the rails. We're here to have fun, smart conversations with the wisest and funniest people in science and media and politics that help make what's happening today clearer. Our world has been turned upside down, and on The New Abnormal, we'll talk about the people who got us into this mess and how we'll hopefully get ourselves out of it. What a great show we have today. First, we're going to talk to Will Summer, who's a reporter at The Daily Beast and, of course, the host of the Fever Dreams podcast, where we cover all the loony stuff like the alt-right and QAnon and talk about all the ways the far right's dimension. And he's going to talk to us about exactly that. Then we're going to talk to Andrew Kurtzman, who's the author of Giuliani, The Rise and Tragic Fall of America's Mayor. And we're going to talk to him about how bad things have been going for America's Mayor. Hate to see it. But first, let's have some fun. Andy Levy. Molly Jongfest. So we had a Biden speech followed by a Trump rally. Yep. The Biden speech drove all of the people on the right crazy because it criticized the rise of authoritarianism, and they felt very targeted. And then Trump stepped in the trap that Biden had set for him. (laughs) And then Trump gave a speech that was about as authoritarian as it gets to prove Biden wrong or something like that. Yes. I've never seen so many fascists get worked up at being called (laughs) semi-fascist. I'm assuming it's the semi part that they were upset about. That was like the only thing I could think of. Is that, you know, they've worked so long and hard to be full fascists and then to be belittled by Joe Biden by being called semi-fascist. You know, I can understand that. You put in the work and you want the recognition, you know, and he kind of denied it to them. But it is amazing. I mean, after Biden's speech, I think the thing that was trending on Twitter was like pedo Hitler or something like that. (laughs) They were so mad. They're pretending to be mad at the tone of Biden's speech. Literally everything they do is calling people groomer and they call Joe Biden a socialist. Like the most centrist guy in the world. They've spent all this time calling him a socialist and then get mad and say he's ruining the discourse by saying semi-fascist. It's like they're the biggest hypocrites in the world, but we know that. But they're also, they're the biggest babies in the world. These are the people that that spent all that time calling everyone who wasn't them snowflakes. And all they do is crumble the minute anyone calls them accurately on their on their bullshit which is that they are at minimum semi-fascist that's what that's what that wing of the republican party has become so the response was it was hilarious to me to watch it yeah i mean i i they're very upset they were mad at biden you know i i mean i think what biden did was smart he tried to get look for democrats to win this midterm it looks like a lot of things are coming in are sort of falling into place but they really need Trump to step in there because running against Trump is really, and I mean, unfortunately, look, nobody likes having him in our political world at all. And, you know, we've, you know, whatever. I, I don't, I don't believe in this kind of democratic politics of like supporting the fascist candidates right. because they'll lose. Cause we saw in right. 2016, that's not a great plan. Yep. But I do think, and I also think like the aiding in the destruction of democracy in either way is really bad, uh, is a bad way to go out in the world. But I do think that Bringing Donald Trump into the midterms when he's already basically there is going to be helpful for Democrats. And that was what Biden was doing and going to Pennsylvania, you know, to going to Philadelphia, which is, you know, sort of the seat of American government. And then having Trump say, like, Philadelphia is a dump, you know, like Independence Hall is, you know, I wouldn't use that as my, you know, my bidet. The (laughs) optics of that are bad to normal people. And look, the other thing is like this thing that we keep talking about is like, 
you know, a lot of, of pundits are saying, well, you know, they get Trump's people get so mad when, you know, you get, you know, if you if you search Mar-a-Lago, Trump's people get so, you know, they're fully they're even more on the Trump train. But Trump's people will always be on the Trump train. It's not about Trump's people. Trump's people, you might as well just give up on now. You know, hope they don't do anything bad and give up on them. But, like, it is about all the other people, which is most of us, who can't tolerate this kind of insanity. And those people, you lose more and more and more of them as Trump becomes more and more exposed. Yeah, totally agree. Trump, as you said, he sort of walked into the trap and, you know, he gave his rally in Pennsylvania and talked about how basically saying that Democrats are enemies of the state. Right. He called Fetterman a socialist loser. And he said Fetterman was on drugs. And accused him of being on pretty much every drug up to and including fentanyl. Anytime that anyone on that side complains about name calling, they should be ignored. Right. And I don't know if this is sort of segging to a new point, but once again, our our vaunted media institutions are not up to this challenge. Yeah, they seem not to be. They're totally two sides. You know, they're saying, well, Biden criticized Trump, but barbs are exchanged on both sides. Like, barbs are not exchanged. This one guy wants to end democracy. The other guy is criticizing the guy who wants to end democracy. These are not the same. No, exactly. And But what you get is you get, like, the Washington Post editorial board and the New York Times editorial board and the Wall Street Journal editorial board sort of— Well, the Wall Street Journal editorial board is— I know. <laughs> But yeah. You cannot be counted. One of these things is not like the other. <laughs> True. But they all clutch their pearls and talk about how, oh, Biden shouldn't have used that language. And fuck off. I'm sorry. It's just we're way past that. The Washington Post in particular, you cannot have, you know, your whole big thing is democracy dies in darkness. Right. <laughs> and then you have a guy get up there and actually say, hey, these people don't want democracy. They're a danger to right. democracy. And you're like, well, you, you, you shouldn't say that. Look, what? That, that's your whole thing is that it dies in darkness and he's putting it in the light. Yeah. You know, he's doing exactly what you claim your purpose is, except it's not, you know, or you're, if it is, you're, you're really bad at it. And so that just gets annoying as hell. But the idea that because Biden had some red lights behind him and there were a couple of Marines standing there and then we get CNN anchors tut-tutting him and then doing stories about how some people are upset about this when it was you who was upset about it. Right. And I just, I can't, that's Brianna, what's her name, Keeler or whatever, uh, I think her name is. Yeah. I can't take it anymore. All of those people just, at some point you have to wake up and realize that there is a side here that wants democracy to go away. Right. They want authoritarianism. If you want to call it fascism, I'm comfortable calling it fascism. If you're not comfortable with that, just call it authoritarianism. Just (laughs) just use the generic term. I don't care. Either way, that's what they want. And, you know, you've got Trump sitting there. He wants the 2020, he wants an election overturned. Yeah, he wants to redo the election. That was his most recent thing. Yeah. Every marker of authoritarianism is right there. Like, he's saying it out loud. This is not the quiet parts. This is the out loud parts. Again, we'll see what happens. I'm struck by this idea, like, none of this is new. Everything he's saying is stuff he's been He's been workshopping since 2015. Yes. And even like I was in the car when we were in this very long car ride, we were listening to this interview, this British interview with Lindsey Graham called Hard Talk. A British interviewer giving Lindsey Graham a very thorough interview and saying to him again and again, like, you know, what is it that that Biden hasn't done that you think is so dangerous that Trump would have done, right? And, he, you know, and the things they have, these ideas, the few party platforms the Republican Party still has are the border, right? It's so dangerous. The border is so dangerous, right? Again, we have this di- diminishing population. We can't, we have a workforce that is desperate for people, tight workforce, and yet the border is our biggest problem, right? Like you can't have right. those two things do not coexist. And it's just like they just don't have any new material. So I'm not sure, like I guess his people he'll always have, but I don't know, like don't people get bored if it's just the same thing all the time? I don't know. And this this goes back to sort of my media thing where 
it's sort of like, oh, well, we're used to this from Trump. We're used to him saying the the crazy things he does. One of the things that happened at this rally that he held is there was a speaker there named uh, Cynthia Hughes, and she's the head of a right. support group for a bunch for a bunch of January six defendants. One of whom is this guy Timothy Hale Cusinelli, who she says is her nephew, but may not be. Right, we're not sure. Right. Um, which is uh, <laughs> she would be, claims, by the way, a very right, which would be a weird thing to lie about, but. Who the hell knows? I think it's, yeah, I think you have to assume these people are maybe not telling the truth until proven otherwise. Yeah, but this guy, this guy, Timothy Hale Cusinelli, has, he literally has a Hitler mustache and haircut. Yeah. And he, he has completely styled himself after Adolf Hitler. Yeah. And, and so you bring up a woman on stage who is a support group for people like this, but then you get mad when you get called semi-fascist. But all of this is, like, sort of to your point, is none of this is new. Right. Like, this is stuff Trump for, you know, the four years he was president gave these awful speeches and where he just, like, completely— made a mockery of the office of the presidency and of the discourse, as we say. Yeah. And then Biden gets up there and gives one speech where he doesn't even, like, it's not even like he went after the entire Republican Party. He specifically singled out the MAGA wing. That's fine. Which I think is actually smart. I think this idea of, like, trying to give these people an off-ramp is really good. I mean, I don't know if it works, but it's worth it. Right. I totally agree. But it's like you had four years plus of the other guy, not even in including the stuff he's been doing as an ex-president. Right. But then somehow you equate the two. It's just that Trump gets sort of handled in this special category. It's like, oh, well, that's just Trump. Right. No, no, I agree. And it's like, no, we're so far beyond that's just Trump. The guy was the president. And that's how he's gotten so far is by people exactly. saying like, well, this is, we can humor him. And actually- there was somebody wrote something smart about how that in 2020 people said, oh, just let him do this. It won't be a big deal. Let him try. You know, he he's just playing golf. It's not like he's going to overthrow the elections. And now right. we have the same thing with the special master, which is so Trump world. There was this Mar-a-Lago raid. They took a bunch of documents. Trump world has some pretty bad lawyers. The bad lawyers went and they may not be such bad lawyers because they found a jurisdiction. They found a judge who Trump had recently appointed, went to her and said, you must let us, you know, appoint a special master. And she said, oh, sure, why not? Uh, even though it's not, it's a very unusual. And a lot of people are saying, lawyers, people who know the law as opposed to myself, are saying that, you know, this is very unusual and the filing is kind of a mess and this is not how you do it. I mean, the thing with Trump, and I think you have to remember, is like he has put in so many judges and then he always knows like if he and again, the goal here is just to waste time to keep the Justice Department from being able to do its job. And again, right. there's this crazy new Justice Department rule, I guess, caused by James Comey and Hillary Clinton, where you can't indict someone 30 days before the 60 days 60, 60, right before yeah. an election, even though Trump is not. In, is not running for office, but okay. It's important to, you know, make sure that we protect Republican uh, candidates at all costs. But I do think ultimately we really have a situation where Trump knows that if it goes up to the Supreme Court, he can, he can win because he owns that court. That's his court. He put them in there. Right. And I also saw some people pointing out that, you know, if DOJ decides to appeal this ruling, Another thing the Supreme Court can do is take their sweet time about, you know, whether or not they want to accept the appeal. Mm -hmm. So they could also, you know, play into that 60 day rule. They could they could wait and wait and wait. And then even even if they rule against Trump, then suddenly the Justice Department has this, you know, again, it's apparently an unwritten rule about the 60 day thing. It's just, again, for, for people who claim to want to drain the swamp, they sure love working the system. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and you're right, you know, pointing out again that Trump appointed this judge who really, <laughs> by all accounts, is not the kind of person who had the experience that you would expect to be appointed to a district court. But of course, she's a Federalist Society member, so that's really all that matters, I think. She's also quite young. I mean, this is the way they do it here in Trump world is it's all about this authoritarian, like, favor banking. Right. 
But I do think like there are a couple more investigations going. It's incredibly annoying. It reminds me, I feel like this is a moment we can talk about how Alvin Bragg decided not. <laughs> he had a open and shut case. Alvin Bragg, hello. Back in New York, Alvin Bragg decided not to prosecute Trump for whatever mysterious reason. None of us know why. Yeah. That continues to be an incredibly a real thorn in my side. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. You know, there's something I've really been needing to get off my chest lately, which is that everyone and their mother should listen to the Andre 3000 album because it lifts my spirits on a regular basis, 1000%. We all carry around different problems, big and small. And let's be honest, when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. That's where therapy comes in. It's like this safe space where you can unload all those burdens and start figuring out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. Therapy can make a difference. I know this from firsthand experience, and it's not just for those who've experienced major trauma. It's for anyone who wants to improve their mental well-being. Therapy can help you learn coping skills. It can teach you how to set better boundaries, and it can make you be a better version of yourself. If you're considering therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's entirely online, which means it's convenient, flexible, and fits into your schedule seamlessly. Plus, getting started is as easy as filling out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. And the best part, you can switch therapists anytime at no additional charge. So why wait? Take that first step towards a happier, healthier you with BetterHelp. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash The New Abnormal today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash The New Abnormal. Will Summer is a politics reporter at The Daily Beast, as well as the host of The Daily Beast podcast, Fever Dreams. Most ambitious crossover event ever. Welcome <laughs> To the new abnormal Fever Dreams host, Will Somer. Molly, I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. I can't believe we haven't done this before. I think we have long ago. We have. (laughs) I love Jesse. Jesse's like, we have. Since we've never done this before. I wanted to have you on because Donald J. Trump, has he lost his mind more than usual? I mean, he would have done stuff like this when he was president, but... Two days ago, he amplified QAnon promoting accounts 70 times. What is going on? He's going off. He He's telling it like he sees it. I mean, if you look at Truth Social, <laughs> like he you sees know, I, it. basically, right. like, yes. it's kind of hard to remember and, and sort of to put yourself in the place of, like, what was it like when Trump was on Twitter? You know, it's two years ago, right. that kind of stuff. But. I felt looking at at the memes he was posting and stuff. I was like, this is a this is not the kind of stuff he used to do. I mean, I think this is further than that. Like he was posting a, a picture of that had been photoshopped to make Biden look like he had pooped his pants, and Trump was like, <laughs> "Oh, why are people so mean?" Like, like I, I will say that's kind of funny, but I think like he was so going bad. a little further. Um, you know, yeah. he was posting, like you said, I mean, he posted some QAnon memes that were like, "I am the storm," and of course, QAnon people see the storm as sort of this like big like fascist moment where you know. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think podcasters and, and Democrats and all kinds of people will be sent to Guantanamo Bay. So I do think he has this feeling of kind of being trapped in the corner as the DOJ is closing in and like all he can do because he can't hire lawyers or good lawyers. Apparently all he can do is post. <laughs> So he is ultimately the poster in chief. Yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of a, a lot of uh, kind of Trump supporters believe that he's still president. That the the Biden administration is being filmed <laughs> at Tyler Perry Studios <laughs> in Atlanta. Wait, wait, what? Yeah, that's true. That's true, Molly. Yeah, they think that like I, mean, I, true I don't know. It's being like, a 
Well, it's <laughs> right. I believe yes. it. Right. The idea is that, like, I don't know if Tyler Perry has like a White House set or something, and so there's like a theory <laughs> that that like you know this is all fake, basically, and it is it, like when Biden, you know, when he talks to the country, you know, it's a green screen and stuff like that. But I will say, but Trump yeah. does still retain the power. I think of, of poster and sheep. I think they're right about that. <laughs> I mean, it's so stupid. It has to be true. <laughs> and then I've seen other interesting stuff about the, you know, the way that the documents being staged. That's like another amazing kind of like I feel like we went from like the documents were planted to the documents were fake to the documents were real to the photos were staged. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, so and and there's really no evidence of any of this. I mean, I, I think the way to look at this is like if we think back to the um, the Russia investigation and then the Ukraine investigation, all this kind of stuff. And then January 6th. I mean, I think these folks were able to less so with January 6th, but I think they were ultimately able to come up with kind of like counter narratives that Republicans could obsess over. So like with Russia, they could talk about Lisa Page and Peter Strzok and sort of all these related characters. Um, but really, I think with this one, they're really sort of struggling to find an angle uh, that they can latch onto. And so there's a lot of like, well, those photos were staged. Oh, is there like a scrap of proof for that? No, <laughs> we, we just decided. <laughs> I mean, and, and right. I think we saw some of that after the photo came out where the House Judiciary Committee, the Republican side just said, you know, there's this picture of a framed picture of Trump on Time Magazine in the corner. And they're like, what? We're supposed to be afraid of Time Magazine now? And it's like, that's obviously not what they were referring to. I mean, they're, they're just sort of throwing <laughs> everything at the wall. Right. And really so far, I mean, even even in kind of the areas I habituate, you know, uh, online, I don't see any of these things gaining much traction. Yeah, that's an interesting thing. Like, I feel like they've covered so much, like they've been able to obfuscate for so much, right? Like, even like Eugene Carroll, right? You know, like Trump goes comes out or, or the, all the sexual harassment, assault allegations that people come out and they're like, you know, Trump will say like, she's not hot enough to rape. And the, his people will be like, oh, but with this, it's like they just can't, they can't spin the narrative. And, and, and I think the thing to understand, or I think the thing that underscores that is how every time they try to kind of regain control of the narrative by releasing something that they have, it only makes right. Trump look worse. Right. And so, for example, right, the they John released, Solomon <laughs> letter. Well, I have to. I mean, John Solomon. Oh, my gosh, that guy. I mean, the so. So, you know, I, 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 I should say here, I used to work with John Solomon at the Hill and like I cannot. I mean, just the I don't know if I went under an NDA or whatever, but like the just the amount of. Of like what you're seeing now is exactly how that guy worked and how bad he was at his job. Um, and so the idea <laughs> that like this guy is still ostensibly a journalist, right? And yet he's right. also this like National Archives representative for Trump and no one really cares enough to be like, hey, <laughs> you know, that's an obvious conflict of interest. Uh, but right. So he releases this 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 archives letter. That says, you know, just like, hey, please, you know, return these documents. <laughs> We've talked to, you know, all these agencies. We've talked to the White House counsel. They all really want you to give the documents back. Now, people were like, why would they release this this letter that just makes Trump look really obstinate and, you know, really underscores that he was breaking the law here? But from the right there in the, the John Solomon theory of the case here is because they mentioned the White House counsel office. That means that like Biden was aware of the raid and that he kind of orchestrated all this and pulled the strings. None of that makes sense. But like you can see how they have to like to like they're, they're kind of like to glean that one bit of like theoretical advantage. They have to put out this thing that just just really blows up in their faces. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't believe how that was like the way they were going to sort of save him. I just want to talk about Gavin McGinnis now. I'm sorry. <laughs> I apologize oh, me in too, advance. me too. <laughs> I sort of saw this. I'm very, very, very online and yet not as online as you. Um so I'm sorry. I might have to I, I don't know, I might have to reconsider my life if 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 you think you're substantially less online than I <laughs> I feel like you see sketchier stuff than I do. I think that's right. <laughs> but just explain to me. I saw that he disappeared, maybe fake disappeared, discuss. 
Yeah, so this is sort of an interesting little saga. So Gavin McGinnis, you know, the Proud Boys founder, co-founder of Vice Magazine. Yeah, they'll never live that down. I know, I know. And then they'll, they'll hasten, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll beat their publicist to the punch. He hasn't been involved with them since like 2008. So right, so he founded the Proud Boys, claims to not be involved with them anymore. But now he has this kind of online TV network with his signature show, uh, Get Off My Lawn. And so, you know, every couple every couple nights he broadcasts to his, I, I would say, dwindling fans base there was kind of like there were hints that the police or the feds might be closing in on gavin and so he posted this was last week and sort of early in the week he said oh i think there were like some undercover cops hanging out outside my house to me that was just sort of like well gavin mcginnis is like a crazy guy just yelling at people right and then a few days later he's broadcasting his show and he starts going say he's saying oh there's some people here don't let them in. And then he starts addressing these people off camera and saying, you know, can we talk about this later with a lawyer? Oh, you just want to have a brief talk? Oh, okay. And then he never returns. The camera broadcasts for another hour of an empty chair. And so I think it was not unreasonable to think that he had been arrested. And so, I mean, you know, the five leaders of the Proud Boys now are facing sedition charges over January 6th. Um, You know, a bunch of other ones have been charged over it. So that did not seem impossible to me. I would say there's also there was kind of a wild card guess for what he might have been indicted for, which is this black nationalist cult in Georgia called Black Hammer that he was uh, pretty intimately oh, involved with promoting, where but basically a body was found in their compound a few weeks back, and it turned out to be a Russian front group. That was the one I thought maybe he, he was involved with. But basically, he disappears. Everyone, you know, and I'll put myself on here, too. I was like, oh, man, Gavin McGinnis got arrested. Let's find out what happened. But. Meanwhile, on the right, I mean, these guys are already so paranoid about the Mar-a-Lago raid, and now they think Gavin got black bagged because as this is happening, it, no federal agency will say they did it. Like I asked the U.S. attorney's offices in D.C. and New York, the NYPD, no one says they did it. And eventually, after 24 hours or something, you got to think like, did they send Gavin to Guantanamo? I mean, this is this is this is like a real serious situation. However, so all of his supporters are so paranoid, and they start thinking like, oh man, they're going to come for me. I mean, all these random bloggers. Are thinking they're going to get the black helicopters. And so ultimately what happens, though, is this guy named, this comedian named, and I, I sort of say comedian lightly there, this guy named Owen Benjamin. The guy with the bear <laughs> emoji. Exactly, with the, a, a compound of his own. Right. So this guy used to have like a relatively successful career. He dated uh, Christina Ricci at, at one point. What? Right. He was, a, was he an actor? Or a- yeah, yeah. He was like an actor, comedian. He was on, a, I think, a network show. Um and and so, but he's sort of progressively gone crazier and crazier, and now he's just like a straight up anti-Semite, white supremacist, conspiracy theorist. He's big, like the moon landing didn't happen type guy, and so he's coming off of this failed compound in Idaho. But you know, as a fellow comedian, he texted Gavin and said, "You know, Gavin, you know, are you okay, buddy?" And now this is according to Owen Benjamin's account, so make that what you will. But he posts, he texts back. Uh, prank don't tell anyone <laughs> and, <laughs> yes i saw and, and the other thing i, I want to underline here is at the as, as all this is going down gavin mcginnis has a comedy tour next month that he needs to sell tickets for right and so right. the so he needs to get back in, in the public to make eye. more sense <laughs> I, I know the pieces yeah. are falling into place <laughs> yes, yes. so so owen is kind of a wild card or a, you know loose cannon and he gets out there and he says you know gavin is tricking all his fans into making money and, and I should say there's this other Gavin, this Gavin associate on the comedy tour had said, no, Gavin really is arrested. Um, and then basically that guy's like, oh, man, Owen ruined the bit. And then <laughs> Gavin texts Owen and he says, you spilled the beans. We are done. Oh, I saw this, too. I just loved the spill the beans part. Uh, but yeah, I mean, so that is sort of how it played out. But it sort of seems like Gavin hasn't admitted it yet. Like he's still laying low. The other thing I would add here is that the Proud Boys themselves have gotten mad about this because it's kind of like persecution by the deep state stolen valor. Because I right. mean, like there really are <laughs> Proud Boys in prison. Uh, right. As this, there are, as, yes. Who deserved to be? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Very much so. Um, I mean, as Gavin was like kind of faking being in prison, another Proud Boy was sentenced to uh, nearly five years in jail over January 6th. So the some of them have have not taken it very well that Gavin is kind of doing, um, you know, uh, uh, martyr cosplay. This is so interesting. Talk to me about some of these new insane candidates. Jesse has told me that there's some people who are going to make Lauren Boebert and um, Marjorie Taylor Greene look good coming into Congress. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I I certainly think so. I mean, you know, one we missed was Laura Loomer down in Florida, right. you know, sort yeah. of a famous uh, troll. She continues to run for office. Yes, she does. And, of course, she insists that uh, this primary she just lost, she really won. So she only lost by seven points against a longtime Republican incumbent, which, you know, I think is pretty ominous for the GOP, or at least for those of us who don't want them to go totally nuts or even more nuts. Yeah. Uh, but the guy who actually stands as a chance of getting into Congress is a guy in Ohio named Jim. J.R. Majewski. Yeah. His signature, I mean, and, and I, I, I'm, in case you didn't hear, Jesse said, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is one of my favorite way. fever dreams bits. Yes. All right. So J.R. Majewski. Yes. I mean, so so his claim to fame is, and this is a guy who's he's running in this district. It was expected to be more Republican. It's been kind of redistricted in a funny way where it's more of a toss up now. But his claim to fame is that he used to run for office is that he he would paint a Trump 2022 sign on his lawn in a way that was so big you could see it from a plane. So this is like Trump loved this guy. But he's also a big, big QAnon guy. He painted a Q in the lawn. And and I mean, this guy is, you know, I, I think there's sort of variations of how deep into QAnon these people get. In the case of Lauren Boebert, I think she kind of was like, all right, I'll, I'll kind of like flirt with QAnon stuff to win some votes. I think Marjorie Taylor Greene was really, really deep in it. I mean, she was adjudicating like what were real Q posts and what were fake ones. But this guy was pretty into it. I mean, he went on a bunch of QAnon shows. And more recently, he said like, QAnon, I don't know about that. And you look and you say, I mean, you, you drew it on your lawn, dude. You know, I mean, <laughs> you're clearly pretty into it. <laughs> So can he win? Yeah, I think he has a good chance. I mean, I, I think as things trend more towards Democrats, his chances are probably diminishing, but it's a toss up district. So the idea that, you know, Congress could have a new QAnon guy, it, it, you know, it's not impossible. <laughs> well, thank you. Well, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Andrew Kurtzman is the author of Giuliani, The Rise and Tragic Fall of America's Mayor. Welcome to the new abnormal, Andrew Kurtzman. Thanks so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. So the book is Giuliani, The Rise and Tragic Fall of America's Mayor. I want to know how did you decide to write about him and why? Well, I've been covering Rudy Giuliani for 30 years. I was a city hall reporter for the New York Daily News and then for New York One, which is the 24-hour news station in, in New York. I began at City Hall with his predecessor, David Dinkins. Dinkins was the first black mayor and came to office amid extraordinary excitement and had a a run of very bad luck and also turned out to be not the right man for the times. The city was in a state of uh, crisis. Crime was very high. The economy was in trouble. I grew up here, so yeah. I I remember it. This is all (laughs) tracks, yeah. Right. It turned out to be kind of depressing (laughs) to cover Dinkins, which was disappointing considering how high hopes were for him. And so I covered uh, Giuliani's campaign, and then I covered his mayoralty every day for eight years. You know, I found him just endlessly fascinating. I mean, he was he was competent. He was transformative. He was um, mean-spirited. He could yeah. be generous. He was brilliant. He was Machiavellian. I, I mean, he was he had so many different layers. And at the, the same time, was also extremely successful. And, you know, I think every journalist kind of gravitates to subjects who are kind of very sure of themselves and great leaders and or natural leaders, I should say, not great leaders, but natural leaders. And I mean, Giuliani has been fascinating in that way to me for, for decades now. I'm curious, one of the sort of things that I really like to talk to you about is what happened to sort of the Rudy Trump relationship and how that how that evolved. Well, I mean, one of the things I learned about during the course of reporting was kind of how much more was going on between the two of them than the world really knew. Once Giuliani emerged in Trump's universe uh, in the eyes of the public um, during the Mueller investigation. So we found a lot of correspondences between Giuliani and Trump during the mayoralty, and it, w- it was just fascinating. I mean, there was this kind of need that they both seemed to feel to impress the other. And I think that that still exists to this day. I mean, Trump was trying to build the the world's tallest residential tower, right? A, enormous self-interest at stake and was buttering Giuliani up. We found all of these letters to him providing kind of secret information about the Hillary Clinton Senate campaign. And Giuliani was a candidate against her 
at the time. And Giuliani was speaking at Trump's parents' funerals, both of them. And meanwhile, you know, people were trying to get Giuliani's attention who were opposed to the, the high rise. Walter Cronkite was absolutely <laughs> apoplectic. He was opposing the tower and Giuliani wouldn't even respond to his letters. <laughs> yeah. Um, so they, they, they formed a bond at a very, very early stage. And, you know, Trump, I feel that he looked upon Giuliani as a role model. You know, at the time that Giuliani was mayor, Trump was a developer with no political experience and not very politically savvy or cued in. And Giuliani made a huge impression impression with his kind of take no prisoners attitude, his, you know, authoritarian style. And to this day, Trump talks about Giuliani with kind of a reverence that he reserves for almost no one. I mean, I, we interviewed aides in the White House who said they never heard they never heard. Trump talk about anyone the way he talks about Giuliani. So explain to me what how Trump sort of saved Giuliani. Well, one of the things I learned in the course of reporting was this incredible story. You know, Giuliani had led this charmed career and, of course, you know, emerged as, you know, the hero is a fraught word. But in the eyes of much of the public, he had emerged a hero on 9-11. One of the most beloved people on the planet, you know, he parlayed that into enormous riches through his consulting practice. But his aim was always to run for president, and he did it in 2008, and it was a complete disaster. He had been the front runner for a year, but his campaign for president lasted just four weeks. He dropped out with just one delegate to show for it, and it was devastating for him. I interviewed Judith Giuliani, his wife at the time. That's wife number two or three, right? right. She's she his third wife, now his ex-wife. Yeah, third wife. So Judith tells the story about how she kind of had this basket case on her hands. So Giuliani was depressed and wouldn't get out of bed and started drinking and felt sorry for himself. He'd lost his relevance and how she took him to Florida to her parents' house to try to have him, you know, recover. And, you know, it was February. She wanted to get him out of the city. The press started to get wind of his whereabouts. And she went casting about for a place where he could kind of recover in his state, his depressed state, without the press finding out. And who does she turn to but Donald Trump? She and Rudy Giuliani move to Mar-a-Lago. And for the next month, Trump houses them at this kind of beachfront property and found there were tunnels under Mar-a-Lago where they would be able to kind of walk back and forth undiscovered. It was there that Giuliani kind of was allowed to, you know, get back on his feet and, re and rejoin the world. And as she tells the story, he, was, he developed an alcohol problem, was constantly falling down. Um, and was kind of a kind of a mess that she had to help. You think that Rudy's an alcoholic? I mean, what I know is that he has had drinking problems. I couldn't tell you today, you know, how to diagnose it. <laughs> she certainly felt that he had a terrible drinking problem. What was, do you think Rudy's goal was for the Trump presidency? And do you think that he sort of knew it would take him down like this? You know, at the time that he endorsed Trump in 2016, really was facing kind of uh, an irrelevance. You know, he had he had started making all these outrageous charges about how Barack Obama didn't love America, how Hillary Clinton was was ill, just all of these kind of farcical charges just to get the press to pick up on him. And it wasn't like all the presidential candidates were knocking on his door, you know, begging for an endorsement. And Donald Trump was the only one who was who was calling him, you know, urging him to endorse him. And Trump needed him far more than any other, any other candidate. And Giuliani, you know, had his reservations. He didn't think much of Trump or his potential, but there were not a lot of options. And Trump was the front runner. So, they develop a very close bond on the campaign trail. Giuliani wanted the secretary of state's position. Trump refused to give it to him. And he kind of faded away for a bit until the Mueller investigation. Why do you think Trump refused to give it to him? He had promised, according to a lot of the people I interviewed close to both Trump and Giuliani, he had promised Giuliani that job during the campaign. I mean, really, right. Giuliani 
That was the only job Giuliani wanted. He was offered attorney general. He turned it down. He was offered homeland security. He turned it down. You know, he fashioned himself after his kind of godlike perception as this statesman, right? Even though he didn't have five minutes experience with foreign policy. Right. And, you know, Trump once reality set in, he actually had to decide whether to name Giuliani. He started just hearing all of these kind of negative stories about him, about his drinking. Giuliani waged this campaign in the press to get the job, which uh, turned Trump off. They launched an investigation internally in the campaign into Giuliani's clients. And he had so many clients with potential conflicts that it filled a report, dozens of pages, and eventually Trump moved on. Giuliani was too corrupt for Trump to make him secretary of state. I don't think Trump saw him as corrupt. I think he saw him as being hopelessly conflicted. I mean, if you remember, you know, Giuliani had cashed in from his 9-11 phase. Yeah, he I mean, his consulting business was a slew of sketchy at best. Yes. But I mean, I just the question was more like you get to a point where Donald Trump is like, I cannot hire this person because they're a liability. This is kind of amazing. <laughs> that That is definitely true. He saw Giuliani as a liability and began, as I said, also began to kind of wonder about his personal situation. His drinking staff was worried that he was kind of more of a crazy uncle. Speaking of the staff, there's an amazing moment that I learned for the book in which despite their reservations about Giuliani, Trump holds this meeting at Trump Tower and he gathers all of his top aides together in a room. And it's Jared Kushner and it's Hope Hicks and Rance Priebus. And he asked for a show of hands, you know, at the time he was considering Giuliani and Mitt Romney. And he's like, and he's like, okay, everyone raise your hands for Mitt Romney if you prefer him. And no one did. And then uh, he asked about Giuliani and almost every single person in the room voted for Giuliani as secretary of state. Yeah, because they're fucking idiots. That's where his kind of his star was at the time, despite (laughs) people's misgivings. But uh, Trump wasn't convinced. I think he had terrible, terrible people advising him. Trump? (laughs) Yes. Um, I think you can make that argument. (laughs) Now let's fast forward. We have Rudy now. Rudy is in terrible trouble. Explain to our listeners a little bit about that. Well, I mean, the man has kind of an antenna for trouble. He always has. He has this kind of fearlessness in which he feels he's impervious to consequences. And he likes to kind of outrage People, it gets attention. And the things he did during the Trump presidency were just, you know, mind boggling. The, the whole Ukraine scandal was Giuliani. Giuliani went to Ukraine, wanted to discredit the Mueller investigation, wanted to discredit Biden and kind of, you know, found these corrupt officials in Ukraine to feed him this outlandish story about Joe Biden, you know, getting rich uh, from Burisma and you know, the Hunter Biden thing. And he develops this case and gets Trump impeached. (laughs) I mean, he was just starting, right? The bigger issue came during the 2020 race. Trump by that time was Giuliani's lifeline, right? Giuliani by 2020 had been thoroughly humiliated by the Borat film, by his crazy interviews where he's, you know, kind of embarrassed himself. And his prestige for 9-11 was just completely eviscerated. And Trump became his lifeline. And so, you know, he became kind of, a, you know, the last standing aide for Trump who believed that the election was actually stolen. And he went on the air and, you know, had the hair dye incident and to the press conference at the Four Seasons and became a laughing stock. But He was telling Trump what Trump wanted to hear when fewer and fewer of the kind of legit lawyers in Trump's orbit were willing to do so. What do you think happens to Giuliani now? Well, he's in deep trouble. And, you know, it's fascinating, you know, as someone who I set out with the book to tell the entire narrative arc. Right. And, you know, I don't think anyone in in modern history has had such high highs and low lows. Right. At one point, like I said, he was one of the most beloved people on the planet. I mean, they took a poll at one point. He was more popular than the Pope. I mean, he was recognized in every country in the world. Fast forward, and his story kind of seems to be ending tragically. Not only is he in terrible legal trouble, 
right? He's facing two Justice Department investigations and the grand jury in Georgia. He's facing bankruptcy because of his legal problems, but also he's he's almost alone, right? Trump, you know, no matter what happens with Trump, he's he's kind of fine, right? And he's, you know, no, even if he's indicted, he's got so much kind of in his defense. He's got the protections of a former president. He's got unlimited money. He's got a base that worships him. I mean, he's someone who who will defend himself from a position of strength. Giuliani has none of that. They can't even raise money for Giuliani's defense. No one is giving money. Fox News won't put Giuliani on the air. He's ending his extraordinary story pretty much alone. I'm okay with that. Thank you so much, Andrew. This was super interesting. I hope you'll come back. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Andy Levy. Molly Jongfest. Who is your fuck that guy? So my fuck that guy for today, it's someone that that we've talked about a lot on here. I'll just give a quick little background to the story before I get to him. So Amazon Prime has this new show called The Rings of Power that I guess is, I don't know if it's a prequel to The Lord of the Rings or it takes place in the same world, but... They classify as prequel. Okay. (laughs) Okay, good. I'm glad you guys have the real stuff going on here. Well, no, here's the deal. I am a nerd, but I'm not a Lord of the Rings guy. Never read the books, didn't love the movies all that much, don't care about this series, won't be watching it. Just It's just not for me. Oh, that's disappointing. I know. I'm much more of a science fiction nerd than a fantasy nerd. Anyway, so they have this new show, and one of the things they're doing is sort of some of what they're doing is colorblind casting. So you have, you know, uh, please, I hope you're sitting down, listeners, when you listen to this. You have things like black people playing elves, and this has uh, infuriated some of the more traditional people. Because everyone knows that mythical people are not black. Yes, because elves who are very, very real have to be white. So So this has become a whole thing to the point where uh, Amazon has had to delay user reviews being posted because they need to make sure that they're not trolls or bots or just assholes being racist and whatever. So, okay, fine. This has sort of become par for the course anytime there's a nerd thing involved. This happened with Star Wars. It's ugly. It's disgusting. And it just won't go away for whatever stupid reason. Is a racist? Well, yes, there is that. So a guy by the name of Musk, first name Elon. Last name Mush. Last name Mush decided, because he, I guess, hasn't been in the news in like a week or so, and he can't deal with that. So he decided he needed to wade into this. And so on Monday, he just tweeted, Tolkien is turning in his grave. Yeah. And then he followed that with, almost every male character so far is a coward, a jerk, or both. Only Galadriel apologies to the nerds if I got that wrong, Um, is brave, smart, and nice. And it's like- But also, he's no one he knows is brave, smart, and nice. He doesn't even like brave, smart, and nice. He likes racist, catty, and bad for the environment. Or or mentally ill, Kanye. Right, he likes Kanye. That's right. Yes. But it's just, you know, of course, there's no reason for Elon Musk to wade into this at all. And But of course, you know if he's going to wade into it, he's going to be on the side of the people who are mad at the series and- you know, the word woke will appear at some point. You know, I've even seen coverage of this where, uh, again, CNN is just not covering themselves in glory these days. CNN doing a thing. An editorial. Wondering if the series the series is too woke for some people. The only woke thing about it is there are black people in it. Right. Like, that's their definition of woke now, that black actors are allowed to play characters. It's what we call it racist. <laughs> It's not woke. It's just not being racist. Exactly. So it's just, I'm I'm just, I'm so sick of it. And it's just, it's infecting everything. And so Elon Musk is my fuck that guy, but it's a really fuck all of those guys who, you know, it started back with Gamergate and it's been going on and it's just, it's gross and you're all gross and fuck all of you. Yeah. And I mean, I also think like this guy just, Elon Musk wants to be a conservative hero and he thinks by that saying racist things will make him that. And, and it's very and possible right. that he's right. But, <laughs> yep. but, uh, but you know, it's bad for the rest of us and it's bad for our democracy, which is not in great shape. So it would be nice uh, uh, if you would not do that. 
and also not fly his private jet around burning tons of uh, carbon. <laughs> so my fuck that guy is, I mean, it's not even a, it's a whole ecosystem of fuckery. Pennsylvania, Donald Trump has decided is the most important state, mostly because he's getting, he's, his candidates are getting creamed there. You got Dr. Oz, who... I want to say this. I, I wrote a piece about him for The Atlantic this week about how bad he is online. Dr. Oz, this is just like a, a fascinating aside or maybe not a very interesting aside, but he actually did heart surgery on my father-in-law 22 years ago. He was a very good surgeon, like known as an incredibly good cardiothoracic surgeon. So when I say that, I like I spent all this time this week, people being like, how do you know he's a good surgeon? I'm like, I actually know he's a really good surgeon. Right. But he's a really terrible candidate. I mean, he's a terrible candidate. He's and 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 again I had this theory that part of the reason why he was such a good surgeon, it was bossy and exacting and kind of mean. You know, he's the kind of guy who yells at the nurses that they want the scalpel and you know what I'm saying? Like, like he's, you know, very kind of in charge, but he's also just unbearable <laughs> when you have to, you know, you don't want to have a beer with this guy. No, God, no. Right. And he's polling terribly. You don't want to have crudite with him. Or as we call it, a veggie plate. Right. Trump is desperately trying because Oz was his pick to help Oz in these midterms. He went to Pennsylvania. He is said that John Fetterman was a drug addict. He made all these allegations, which are not true. They've just gone so hardcore into this. And and I would say, like, in my mind, Oz is a bad candidate. They found this clip of him saying that you shouldn't have to hire smokers, which is pretty hilarious because the most recent Republican Party sort of shtick has been that you shouldn't be forcing people to get vaccinated, right? So here's a guy right. who's saying you shouldn't be able to hire smokers. So, right. you know, <laughs> this is not the what the party kind of goes for. But I actually think that Oz is not nearly as scary as Doug Mastriano, who is a really anti-democracy candidate who would if given his druthers, if he wins, I don't think Democrats will ever win the state of Pennsylvania again. I don't think anyone will ever win the state of Pennsylvania again yeah. except for Donald Trump. So I find him much scarier in my mind. But either way, you know, there's a whole host of fuckery and they can all be fuck that guy. Trump, Oz, Mastriano, fuck him. <laughs> Yeah, it is getting harder and harder to limit these to one person. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, we'll wrap this episode of The New Abnormal from The Daily Beast. In future episodes, we'll be talking to smart folks from The Daily Beast and beyond from media, culture, politics, and science who will help us understand what's happening to our country and the world. We hope you'll subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app and share the show on social media. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again on the next episode. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.